Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. It's uh, kind of the football new year here because we're talking about the draft and we're starting off with our first of our shows, talking about the running backs, counting them down from 10 to 1. Here to do that with me is Kevin Ostreicher. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. It's great to be on here again. The draft, the Ravens have a lot of needs to fill. Running back, one of the sneaky ones in my opinion. Yeah, for, for certain, they have a lot of draft capital and they have a lot of quality draft picks. Nine picks in the first 140 some all in the you know first four rounds of the draft which is terrific uh and it's possible you know one of those will be a running back it's also possible i think the ravens could trade down and get some more picks because this is a team that could use more than 10 players uh to to go to camp with from this draft and all of these positions of need cornerback defensive line uh offensive line is not does not have a lot of depth right now particularly a tackle uh, edge, of course, uh, the, the, we don't know what we have exactly going into next season with uh, Tyus Bowser uh, nursing a hamstring going into the season, Adafi Owe coming off surgery. But a lot of needs to fill. Tonight we're going to be kind of specific. We'll talk about running back. And we're going to do this in a 10-to-1 countdown format. So, Kevin, you're the guest. Uh, first of all, where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, for me, it's at kostriker 34 all right, outstanding. Good follow, Kevin. Is make sure you you you, you do that for him. And uh, who is your number ten guy? Yeah, for me, I was kind of flipping back and forth for me on ten, but I'm going Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. I think Haskins is a little underrated in my opinion. I think he's kind of dropped a little bit for a lot of people as this draft process has gone on, but. He has a lot of experience, and I think for a Ravens team that we heard John Harbaugh talk about, maybe J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards start on the PUP. We don't really know. I think maybe if you get more of an experienced back in the mid-rounds, that could be the best option. Someone who was actually a basketball standout in high school, and is just a solid athlete overall. We know the Ravens love their athletes, but he's physical. He really grinds on defenses, which I think 
the Ravens, we know what they like to do, and that is grind on those defenses. So uh, for me, I think Haskins would be a quality pick in the mid-rounds. 6-1-2-20 definitely has the size the Ravens often crave. You would hope maybe even he could pack on a little more weight onto a frame like that, get into an NFL weight room. Uh, what I liked is his tread wear. You're going to hear that a lot from me in this, is not too great at the college level. 476 career touches, which is okay. And a lot of the backs, by the way, in this class have a little less tread wear than in previous years, and, and largely because of COVID. You know, they lost games to COVID or they, they didn't play the whole season or some of them opted out in cases and they ended up with with fewer touches than they would have otherwise. But 476 for Haskins, um, 30 of those touchdowns all rushing. So definitely a guy came from certainly a, a program with a, with a good offensive line, uh, but rolled up 5.1 yards per carry. He finished just off my list. Uh, I respect him at number 10, not a bad pick at all, and one I had to really kind of choose from. We talked a little bit about this before the show, but a lot of hmm, uh, difficulty in making differentiation between backs 4 and 12 for me in this year's draft. Yeah, it seems like there's no, like, Zeke Elliott in this class where it's going to be like, all right, this is a sure first round pick. It's more once you hit maybe mid second, you get into the third, the fourth, the fifth, you're getting a lot of quality depth options. So there's not necessarily a star in the first round, but I think the Ravens still can find value in the mid round. So it's just, I mean, that's what they need. They're not going to take a running back in the first round this year. Yeah, they, they won't, and I don't think anybody will, actually. Is the, my spoiler for this show is I, I think the, the earliest running back will go probably in round two. Uh, we, we may even see uh, him not go off the board until round three, which would be really something. But with the number of quality defensive linemen, quality edges, quality positions that were uh, deferred entries for COVID, it's more likely that running backs, which are you know kind of known as a commodity that can, uh, you, you're more likely to go to the street and get a guy that you you can be okay with, uh, are, are, are going to drop further in this draft than they have in others. I really I think it's very unlikely actually that there'll be a first round running back this year. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think we'll get into the kind of top of our list in a couple of minutes. But I think when you look at some of those guys, it's probably second for me. And even then, I don't feel like the Ravens are going to invest in a running back in the second round either. I want to go back to Haskins for a minute because he's a, he's an interesting character in a lot of ways. Um, he certainly played well in a power scheme here. And I think that he, if he goes to the right team, and the Ravens could be it, that he's a guy where he gets more first contact opportunities in level two. And this is another one of my things is big backs, if you can get them first contact opportunities in level two and whatever scheme you're running, will have more broken tackles. Um, under those circumstances. So get them on a linebacker for that first contact. Get them on a safety for that first contact if you can, and they've got a better chance to not go down. And you know, one of the things I look for when I watch tape is how, how much does that guy go down to first contact from a safety? Is he able to shake that safety in, in, either of, in any of multiple ways? But one is by showing him a move that he can't react to. You know, people would call it juking or whatever. Um, some of that is reading leverage, but some of it is throwing leverage clues out to the opponent and making them miss because of it. Um, and also, how good, how well do they run through that contact? And, and it's really three different ways to, to force a missed tackle. And we're going to talk about a lot during with the backs on this show. And so uh, I would agree. I, I think Haskins would be a reasonable shot. How do you think he would fit the Ravens? I think it's what they need. I mean, he he's not just some of the grinded out runner. He also has juice in the open field. I mean, he does make people miss. So it's not like he's a one trick pony and he can only do one thing. I think when you're looking at what the Ravens need in the third running back right now, Haskins checks a lot of those boxes because he does a lot of things that I think you would like to have as a compliment to guys like J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. But in the event that one or even both can't go early, a player like Haskins, you mentioned the tread wear, you mentioned the experience. And I mean, it's, it's such a powerful school like Michigan having that success. I mean, obviously, you got to translate it over to the NFL, but I think it could work out well. Yeah, I, I, I do, too. I think the one thing that I would say is the Ravens last year really suffered not having an outside threat. And they need they need. They need a jet sweep set, and they've got that with Duvernay if they want him on the field. And the other receivers can do it as well, but Duvernay seems to be particularly good at it. Um, they've, they've got an inside threat um, with multiple players, including Lamar Jackson, but they don't seem to want to use Lamar on those outside runs out of the pistol that were so prevalent in 2019, which means they need a speed back uh, who can play out a sidecar and threaten the opposite side from the jet motion. And I, I, I really... The Ravens were so short on that last year, 
with the elder statesman running backs they brought in once the injuries occurred, it completely changed the offense, completely changed the nature of the offense. And Haskins does not solve that problem. So while I like the idea of having him replace Gus Edwards, if Gus Edwards you know, can't start the season or isn't maybe at full strength to start the season, they're going to need to address that speed consideration. And maybe that's, that's a guy they find in the undrafted ranks or even off somebody else's cut. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if the Ravens went undrafted, but I feel like I feel like the more likely situation for them is taking a running back in the mid rounds and then maybe bringing in another guy on undrafted free agency to compete. We've seen them have success with the I mean, Gus Edwards, a clear example of what they can do with those running backs, a couple others as well. So, yeah, I think a player like Haskins probably gets drafted, but an undrafted guy coming in wouldn't shock me either. All right. Terrific. Okay. Good first player here. I'm going to go. My number 10 guy is Isaiah Spiller of Texas A&M. A guy a lot of other people have higher. Uh, he went to the combine. Uh, there were questions about what happened there. He had a lousy vertical and broad jump. He did not run the 40. There was talk of an abductor muscle problem, and his agent is now really trying to talk it off. He's saying everything's going to be resolved at the pro day. I'm not sure I completely buy it. But combine numbers can get you in trouble. Or ask Orlando Brown in terms of where he ended up dropping to, where where uh, his stock was originally, and then where he ended up dropping. Uh, he's a guy for me who has more significant tread wear issues. And again, we've seen guys with a thousand carries in college before, but he had 615 touches in three years. That's a lot, and uh, you know. Uh, I would call it, it's not at the top end of this class. There's other guys with more, but it's pretty high for this. Uh, I had other questions about his play, but I just want to let you comment on on him as in general before I do that. No, I, I like Spiller. He, he's, a, he's a bit lower on my list than others. I know people have him two, three. He, he's more in the middle type area for me. So not as low as you, but not as high as others. I think he's a compliment guy, but you're right. Combine numbers can be telling. They don't tell the whole story. They, they definitely don't tell the whole story, but the Ravens, I think, put some stock in the combine. And when looking at players who fit this team and when we're talking, you and I can about, all right, who fits this team and who would the Ravens want to take? You know, if, if we were in that front office, I don't know that Spiller is going to be as high on that list as maybe other teams have him. Right. I, I, I would agree with that. I think one of the things that is nice about Spiller is if he becomes a damaged property, the Ravens are good at evaluating that, and they trust their reads in terms of that. They trust their scouting. They, you know, they'll they'll know whether they like him or not, despite combine numbers. Whereas, you know, other GMs, frankly, who don't have the um, capital in the bank, maybe with their owner, would would have trouble making a pick like this from a bad combine guy because you might get called on the carpet for it later. You you know why? Why did you draft this guy? You know, he had an awful combine and whatnot. But I think there are there are reasons. If you look at the tape, I, I thought against Mississippi State in particular, uh, had a lot of really nice pass blocks in that game. And, you know, he, he moves forward as a pass blocker. I like that. He's got the good size to do it. He's not a guy who has to rely on going low, doing a lot of cut blocking because he's smaller, has those shorter arms. And, and that was something I liked. And then he's got a solid reception total for three years. 74. So that's good with that pass blocking. You want that combination to be on the field on third down, but he only had one receiving touchdown. So he's, you know, he's not a guy you're going to mistake for Darren Sproles, despite the fact that a lot of his game is vision and elusiveness uh, as a player. Yeah, I think you look at a guy like Spiller. He, it feels like when you watch his tape, at least for me, he just has natural instincts. Like he knows what he's doing out there. And I think he's well-rounded overall. You mentioned the pass blocking, the receiving. He's explosive. He's a player that I think the Ravens, would be fine with taking. But again, it's a matter of if they've changed their philosophy on how much they put into the combine. I think on the field, the tape speaks for itself, but then you get a little deeper into it. And I think you got to evaluate it from a holistic perspective. And that does include the numbers. Right. Well, that's fair enough. Uh, would I have anything else to say about him? I think that's good for it. I, you know, one of the things that, that if you're talking about a fit for the Ravens offense might be that the Ravens have not given Lamar Jackson, that guy who could just stick it to someone and still maintain his own contact balance after pass blocking. But Spiller is a guy I think who might meet that and be able to leak out after that. We know the way Jackson loves to extend plays it can't hurt to have one more guy that you look for who's a very late release. And, and uh, you know, the Ravens have really not had that. They've had a lot of, uh, you know, some smaller backs and they've had some other guys with who just have not been particularly great pass blockers. Gus Edwards had a little bit of a run of good receiving in, let me make sure I have this, whether it's 2020 or 2021. I think it's actually in 2020. Uh, we had about 35-yard play. That was in 2020, wasn't it? 
mm-hmm. yeah. over the middle. All right. Uh, anyway, I, I, I like that for Spiller as a as a possibility. Uh, let's move on here. You're number nine guy. Yeah, for me, this might be a surprise to some people, but I have Ty Chandler out of North Carolina as my number nine player. Chandler is somebody you mentioned explosive. <laughs> Ty Chandler is an explosive player. He set all kinds of records at UNC, 92 rushing touchdowns, more than 6,000 yards. And he's someone who I, I he is a compact type player. He's 5'11", around 203, but he plays well in pass protection, which we talked a bit about there with Spiller. He's somebody who also is versatile in the fact that he had 47 kick returns in his career. So with the maybe uncertain future of Justice Hill, I don't really know where they are with that right now. He could be a player who provides special teams value. Now Hill got a couple chances to kick return. Moore is known as a gunner on that Ravens team. But I think Chandler could be a fit because of what he brings from an explosive perspective and what he can do just with slipping through blockers. His footwork is great. I really like him as a prospect. Well, 2021 was a good year for Chandler, certainly. And, uh, you know, what sticks out is of this class, he has some of the most extreme receiving numbers. And now, meaning he's been all over the place during his college career between under five yards per reception and 14.4 last year. Now, it's not a lot of not a lot of receptions, 15, but nobody has a lot of receptions in college football for running backs. Nobody has nobody has particularly many. We we mentioned seventy four for uh, for Spiller, but there there really aren't a lot of guys who have even that many. Uh, certainly has that nose for the goal line that that, that you like. I, I respect that pick at number nine. Uh, I'm going to move on a little bit to my number nine guy here and say Rashad White of Arizona State. Uh, I don't think he's going to be drafted as high as some people think, but uh, White is a guy who I think brings some things to the table still. Uh, if once you can look back, uh, he has great measurables. That's for certain. Uh, Treadwell is good. Treadwell is good in terms of only 275 career touches. Um, I, I think that one of the things that has been said about him and you can see on tape is that he really likes to bounce runs to the outside. And I'm trying to remember who was the Raven in recent years who was an over bouncer who would always bounce the outside. I'm talking the last five years, Kevin. And I, I, I could not for the life of me remember who it was. And I, I can see the play happening in my mind. I like know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, man. That, I I know the Ravens like to bounce those runs sometimes, too. I mean, we see J.K. Dobbins do a great job of bouncing the runs to the outside. But I know I know who you're talking about. I, I can't put my finger on it. Right. It, it may have been before Jackson came because it, it ended up being a worse and worse problem. It might have been. Maybe it's Collins that I'm thinking of because he certainly. I think, I think that. that might be. I think that might be it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Rashad White, uh, he's one of the bigger backs at 6'2", 210. Um, You know, that's a little unusual. You can't get a guy like that to be running north and south more. But the thing that really bothered me, and I think that's really going to hurt him with the Ravens, is don't think he's an impressive pass blocker at all. So that that's uh, you saw him get run over a few times uh, on the tape I watched. And it, that's the kind of thing that I just don't believe the Ravens are going to be able to live with. Now, there comes a point where he drops into your range, maybe the fifth round. I think that's reasonable for the Ravens. But somebody else is going to want him more, I think, than than the Ravens would there. Yeah, I just think there are better fits. You know, I think there are better fits for the Ravens and they can get a guy. More in probably you and I can our top fours, our top threes, maybe a bit earlier than a player like Rashad White would go. But I still think if they decide to draft him, it wouldn't be a terrible pick. I just think, you know, for what they're looking for, it doesn't exactly fit what they need right now. All right. Outstanding. Let's go to your number eight guy. Yeah, so my number eight guy, maybe a bit lower on my list than other people's. Mine is Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. He, to me, he's an impressive runner, but he does have a ton of pass protection skill, which I think is why I think the Ravens could really look to a player like Williams. But he also is someone who isn't necessarily a power runner, even though he, he's he's a smaller one of these backs. He's 5'9", 194. So it's definitely a specific skill set that a team would need. And I don't, I don't know if the Ravens, despite his pass blocking and the way that he runs, would take a chance on him, even though he's a very talented player. There, there are things I really liked about him. He's my number seven guy, by the way. So we, we had him right in the same range. But he, he kind of reminds me of some of the prototypical third down backs that come on and are are good receivers and they have good technical skills. They can throw leverage at, at, uh, 
choices at defenders that make them miss. And I liked him for some of those reasons. Um, he's got really poor measurables, 465 in the 40, uh, poor jumps. You know, that's, that's not a good place to start. But what I did like about him as a pass blocker specifically was that he's a very good cut blocker. Very cut, seems to come very natural. And that's what he needs to be at 5'9", 194. You know his arms are going to be shorter than almost anyone he faces coming at him, even a safety. You know, where he has to pick him off the edge, slot corner a lot of the times. So he's not going to have the same length of arms as that guy, which is really saying something. But, uh, you know, he does do a good job of going low, seems to put his put his shoulder pads in the right place, thigh, knee area, to really make that player slow down. I was impressed by that. And, and if you, you throw that together with a back who can get into space and make people miss after that, I think you, you've got something that has real value. So I would see him as being primarily a third down back and not an early down back for the Ravens if he came. Does that match your expectations? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he was a former wide receiver in high school, so he, he's familiar with the pass-catching aspect of everything, and he doesn't necessarily win at the point of attack enough for me yeah. to where I can see him being an every-down player early on, which, again, the Ravens don't need that. They, they have two guys, but again, what, what's the health of those two guys right now? I think they need with that in mind to take a player who could take on a bigger role early on as a rookie. That can be tough for some running backs, Williams could do it, but again, I'm just—it's just not for me at this point. Who's the? I, I'm being bad with names here, and there's something about aging that really sucks. By the way, guys, you will forget names. Uh, the, the third down back for the Ravens, who lasted about one series at the start of a season, they paid him about three million dollars that year, and then he got hurt on the very first drive of the season. But Danny, Danny Woodhead. Yeah, Danny Woodhead. So he, 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 there are there are similarities to him that we had seen at Kyron Williams. By the time the Ravens got Danny Woodhead, he didn't have nearly the speed he had earlier in his career. And he, Kyron Williams may have about that speed. You're getting running backs. You get them for one contract. I mean, you know, hopefully you don't have to sign them again. Uh, we have an exception, obviously, with with Gus Edwards, but. Uh, but you really your draft capital, whatever you're spending on this guy, it's got to be returned on that first contract because whatever you get after the first contract, gravy, friction, whatever you want to call it. But it's not uh, you, you didn't really get it out of the draft capital. Right. You talk about treadware. And I think for running backs, the, the age old saying is once they hit 30, you know, that's that's it. And they're done. And part of that is. You know, how many carries did they get in college? How are they used in college? And so mm-hmm. this is not, you know, me saying that, oh, Kyron Williams is going to be a terrible NFL player. I, I don't think that. I think he will be a solid player. But again, with the draft, that comes down to fit. And I think a better team could or a team could use him better than I think the Ravens could right now just because of what they need. Where does he fall into your value range if he drops? Where do you take him? I think if the Ravens haven't addressed a running back by one the, the like 139 141 area maybe that's around where i'd take them okay so this, i i don't think that's unreasonable i also don't think it's unreasonable if they traded down and they got them with a fifth round pick that they don't currently have right. um you know it's certainly possible uh one thing about kyron williams despite 77 career receptions 8.7 yards per reception is not really exciting four touchdowns is not exciting at all uh, for that, so we're not talking about Darren Sproles here, but we are talking about a guy who catches the football consistently when he's out in space and can make some people miss. It just it, it doesn't always work out, obviously, and and he wasn't a electric play breaker even when he when he made those plays. So uh, I, I think that's enough about him. Right now, we go to my number seven, my number eight guy. Right, a lot of people are going to have this guy higher, and that's Brian Robinson of Alabama. Uh, I actually think he's going to go a little bit later in this draft than people think. Uh, if there's nothing wrong with his statistics other than he piled them up at Alabama where, you know, they've got a very dominant offensive line year after year, um, 5.0 yards per carry, just not as impressive there as it is a lot of other places. Um, he did have limited tread wear prior to this year, Alabama, of course, keeping him on the bench, not giving him a lot of carries before this last year, but then he had a lot this last year and he's also 23. So right there, you know, I, I don't like a 23-year-old safety, even though that's when the Ravens drafted Ed Reed, but uh, I really don't like a 23-year-old running back. And I know COVID is making a lot of these players come out later, but it's, it's, a, it's a not insignificant concern with Brian Robinson that, that he's older, and despite the tread wear, it doesn't really mean that, uh, that he's got a lot of years of effectiveness in front of him. 
I mean, we, we did we did talk about experience, and I think if you want if you want some experience in terms of age, Robinson will get you there. He's he's a very talented player, and we all know some of the Alabama running backs that have come out of this school. Though that doesn't really mean anything once he hit the NFL, a la Trent Richardson. Mm-hmm. But I think you have a player that again best trait or at least one of them in my opinion is the pass protection he picks up blitzing defenders very well but you know the short the short yardage running back where is that the skill set you need how how healthy is Gus Edwards if you need that the Ravens have players that can do that already so for me again I think there are better fits than Robinson but the the stuff that he's put on tape speaks for itself he's a very talented player yeah I, I agree his game is really predicated on getting first contact in level two and all he's accomplished Alabama basically has been on getting first contact in level two and being able to break a lot of that very similar to Gus Edwards in that way by the way and Edwards um, does two things really well but but maybe there's there's a little more Jim Brown in him from in terms of leaving a leg I hate to use that because that's always overstates the situation but he, he doesn't have to read leverage the same way. He doesn't have to, sorry, throw leverage clues out the same way. He reads it a little bit well. He gets a, that, that tangential hit from the running back, and then he's able to leave a leg and run through that contact. And I think Brian Robinson will give you some of that. Uh, I, I, you know, I watched the Miami game, and honestly, I saw some pretty bad pass blocking reps. He's got the size for it. He's got great arm length at 32 inches. So you know, you hear me talking about that at offensive tackle, but it's important also at, at running back if you're talking about how you're going to stiff arm or where you're going to make uh, good blocks as a as a pass blocker. Um, I just I. There's not enough there for me to really love the guy, given some of the limitations I see in terms of age. I, this, they're definitely positives. He's, he, he's deserving of the top 10, but uh, I only had him at number eight. Yeah, it's funny because actually he was my number 11 because of fit for okay. the Ravens. And so, you know, th- that's not me saying like, you know, in other circumstances, like for a different team, he wouldn't be in the top 10. But it feels like he just needs he needs a lot of touches to impact a game in a positive way. And that's not to say he can't do that. But on the Ravens, assuming all three guys are healthy. Where did those touches kind of come in the short yarded stuff? Some of the in- inconsistencies in his, I think what is a solid pass blocking repertoire for me, it's just not a fit. So I, I had him at number 11, which might be a bit controversial, but I guess we're here for controversy a little bit. On well, I mean, eight and 11, that's hardly really controversial. Yeah. <laughs> so we said there was a lot of similarity between, between our four and 12 guys. Uh, let's go ahead with your number seven guy. Yeah, so my number seven is actually Jerome Ford. The I think a running back that actually fits the Ravens a bit better than some of the earlier guys we've talked about. And someone who was more of like a, a complimentary piece in his first couple of seasons it is 5'11", 220, so not like the 6'2", hulking guy, <laughs> like a bigger Brian Robinson-type player. But he wasn't necessarily featured in the passing game, but hauled in a ton of targets and has really nice acceleration and also just has a nose for the end zone in the short yardage situations. I just think a bit more of a versatile piece than a player like Robinson is. And coming out of a, a program like a Cincinnati that obviously had a phenomenal season in 2021, he was a big part of that. I think he also shows some of that patient running style that mm-hmm. sometimes it, it depends on the fit. Obviously we talked about Le'Veon Bell and, and what his patient running style does. And obviously everybody's different, but I think for me, Ford is a player that really is just a no-nonsense runner and has a really good decision-making skills and is just smart overall. Lots of things I liked about what you said. Uh, He's got only 350 touches in four seasons. 31 of those were TDs. So that's a great run. And a, a lot of that is the dominance of Cincinnati over these group of five schools. Cincinnati also played some Power Five. I don't want to, you know, it, it say that they didn't play any power five groups, but power five uh, teams. Uh, He also has six career fumbles. That's going to kind of weigh against him. I think with the Ravens, Uh, you know, not being careful with the football, obviously is something no one likes, but uh, it's something that in the past we've seen Harbaugh be very punitive about in terms of moving people to the bench. And uh, if you're Eric DaCosta and Harbaugh is in the room, maybe in your ear about it, but also, you know, you just know how Harbaugh will react if there are fumbles. You got to look at that and say, you know, is this, is this going to work out for this organization to have a guy who, who has a little bit of problem with the football or is it maybe, you know, they look at it and say, you know, can we correct this? Look at these six fumbles. What happened on these plays? Are these things we can correct? And that's it. That'd be another legitimate thing. Cause he certainly is, has had, you know, a, low tread wear in his career with 350 touches with six fumbles 
not the relationship I want to see. Right. That, that fumble is probably a little too high, and that's why he's not rated a bit higher on my list here. Because, yeah, we, we, we have seen the doghouse of John Harbaugh, and it is not easy yeah. to get out of once you get in. Now, there is that viral clip of Harbaugh talking with J.K. Dobbins and you know him trusting J.K. Dobbins after that fumble. But that is not usually how it goes with the fumble situation in Baltimore. If you fumble, it, it's sometimes not pretty over there in Baltimore. So I think Ford still a great player. He isn't necessarily the most shifty player in the world, but with the low treadwear, that's something that I think teams are starting to value more and more, especially with the one contract and done type yes. situation the league's getting into. So yeah, I, th- I think he's a he's penciled in for me as a mid round selection. Whether that's the Ravens, who knows? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I, I want to say some positive things about the guy too because I feel like I've just beat on him. His size is is right there where you want it at five eleven two fifteen. You know, some people would want a little bit bigger frame to pack on more rate, but I think five ten to six feet is a fine size for a running back when you can when you can be at that weight. Uh, you know, one other thing that that I would say is he's a very good one cut runner, and and there are lots of those in this draft, which is part of the problem that there are just so many. But you know, he, he fits his own scheme well. He'd be a guy who who would be able to uh, make that single cut. He can I probably can also play in a power scheme. So you know, having that versatility is nice. You don't want to give away what your run play is by who, who your running back is on the field, obviously. But uh, uh, you know, he's a guy who I think uh, could help some teams. Um, again, you know, he's one of many in this in this range for me. And I actually had him at number six. Uh, although you had him at number seven. So we got a very similar rating on him as well. And since my number seven guy was Kyron Williams, we'll move on to your number six guy. All right. Yeah. My number six guy is Amir White running back from Georgia. And for me, he's, he's very talented again, right in that five eleven two fifteen type range. Now, he would be a lot higher on my list had it not been for the ACL tears. I know that's mm-hmm. a big part of sure. uh, why people are kind of, a little bit more on the, uh, I don't know if, if we want to go this direction, but I mean, on the field, he is extremely talented. He pushes piles, fights for extra yards. He's a powerful running back, but you know, we, we just don't really know the full potential as Amir White because of those two ACL tears, which I think kind of knock his stock down a little bit. Right. It, it certainly did. And, and he's a guy, uh, you know, ran four forty. I ho- I think that will get him past some of that. But, you know, you're trying to get whatever value you can out of a full contract from this running back. You're going to draft him in the fourth round. There's not a lot of additional capital that has to be spent on that guy. I'm, I'm talking about additional um, uh, cap that needs to be spent on the guy, not draft capital, uh, during that first contract. Uh, but you, you have to you have to realize some of those years and uh, in order to, to make the draft capital worth it. I do love his size. I love his, you know, some of that one cut ability, just like we talked about with Ford as well. The speed is good for right now. I think you know, the point has been made that he could be a receiver, that he looks apart in a lot of ways. And, you know, being bigger size, late release, you, you, you hope you could make him a pass blocker. I think he was solid there at Georgia. But here's my big point about any running back playing in Georgia's system is, they're not put in a lot of choice situations. And what I mean by that is places where the running back has to make a choice about who they block and can do the wrong thing. And you know, the, the, the front line for Georgia is just too damn good. And oftentimes, because of all the weapons that Georgia has, uh, teams are not really, really willing to throw five and six man rushes against them. So that running back doesn't get to put in a lot of those difficult positions where decisions have to be made and whatnot. And, uh, and the, honestly, just not challenge to the same degree they would be in other programs. Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out to me about White in particular is for his size, I think he's one of the more agile backs mm-hmm. for his size. And I think it's just like the enticing skill set that really has me where it's it, it would be tough to maybe justify for some people going into the 2022 season with J.K. Dobbins coming off an ACL tear, Gus Edwards coming off an ACL tear, and then Zamir White who – also has two ACL tears himself. I think that's probably the more challenging part where I think if you're the Ravens, you could look and say, we just need somebody with less of an injury history. Yeah. They, they want somebody certainly in 2022 who can eat carries there. They are, they, if they're going to spend draft capital, they want to get that. Now, I think they can do what they've done and go to the street and find the guys who have the sit, have the fit that they want for the individual scheme. Last year, I talked about this all season, but particularly tough year for doing that. There was just very little um, year one 
and rookie guys out there on the street, the quality level was much lower because of COVID and the reduced number of people coming into the league. And that was especially true in the small schools where they hadn't even played at all. So none of those guys, you know, graduated to the NFL draft and they were held back. Well, guess what? Those guys are in that pool of talent that's available this year. And it's, it's a juicy pool of talent. It has to be. I just don't know who those guys are. But I hope the Ravens do because they, they uh, do a very good job with small school scouting. And, uh, and you know, we were talking before the show, but all, all 12 of the guys I had, my honorable mentions in the top 10, they're all from either Power 5 or one group of five is, is Ford. Um, you know, I didn't have one small school guy in the group. Well, I bet DaCosta does. I bet they've got a couple guys identified that they would you know, put a late round grade on. Maybe that's six, maybe a, maybe a trade down pick as well. Yeah, Eric DaCosta, this Ravens organization, loves those small school guys. There are there are plenty of them. So I wouldn't be shocked if we heard a name on late day two, early day three that isn't in you know one of our lists here with the Power Five schools. Yeah. Certainly a possibility. So let's see now. Uh, where are we? Number six was Jerome Ford for me. And who's your number five guy? My number five was Isaiah Spiller. So we kind of talked about him a little okay. bit. but yeah. my, my number five is Zamir White. So we're all caught up now. Let's go to your number four guy. Who is it? Yeah, so my number four is uh, James Cook, Alvin Cook's brother, someone who uh, I think is very, very talented. We talked a little bit about the Georgia running backs and kind of what their what their system is. You, got, you went into great detail there, Ken. But I think for Cook, he made the most of his opportunities. He again, we have a lot of running backs recently in this five eleven type range. So right, right in the right in the wheelhouse of what you want. But it's more of the primarily third down passing situation type back but when he does run he is really patient and gets through the hole I think in a way that a lot of NFL teams do like and also is able to know how his guys can set up blocks you mentioned the Georgia front he's Mm -hmm. able to have his guys set up blocks hopefully the Ravens front will be a bit better than what we saw in 2021 and if Cook is drafted to Baltimore he'd be able to do that yeah, that's a great point about uh, about Cook. That patience is it, you're not patient if you're not waiting to set up effective blocks, right? Otherwise, you're just a bad back. You can't get going. You, have, you know, whatever they they might otherwise call it. Uh, Cook to me is a is an interesting cat, and I don't know if he really fits the Ravens, but he, but if they could fix his pass blocking, where he has some real problems i would say he's, he, he looks more like justice hill he's smallish out there at 511 199 justice hill is smaller than that obviously but but he's um doesn't really look like he'd stand up to nfl pass rushing too well on third down unless they see traits in him they think they can fix to, to me he's an he's a very natural pony backfield flanker and so if you're the commander's I got it right. My first try on the show. That's uh, it's unusual. But you, you might take him if if you want to run the same style of offense, have two running backs on the field. The Ravens played a little pony over the last couple of years, and uh, they might decide, hey, that's something to do instead of always having an extra tight end or, or take a receiver off the field to do it. Uh, make teams not really realize what you're trying to do. Make them adjust their own personnel on defense to match up against your two running back looks. Do they always give you a look where they, they play a, 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 a heavy nickel or a big nickel in those situations? Maybe you find matchup opportunities with that. And Cook is the kind of receiver, I think, who could do that for you. I'm just not sure he's a great fit for the Ravens. And I have him also at number four on my list. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's his real strength. One of the things that he did really, I think he, I have to call him out for is, of all the running backs in this class, most of them have some ability to break, break tackles in some way. Read leverage, throw leverage clues, you know, leave a leg, break with power. Um, Cook is probably the weakest of this group in terms of breaking tackles to me. And so I, I, you know, he's the guy, is a key component of being a running back that you're very good at that. But to me, I just didn't see that in the games I watched. Right, and it's funny you mentioned that because I know some of the – some of the issues people had with Devonta Freeman last year, although he he improved tremendously over the mm-hmm. course of the season, was he would he was setting up for a huge run and then he'd be tackled by his shoelaces or he mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to get out of a tackle and pick up the extra yards. And I think it was such a shock to people because I think what we all got used to was, oh, J.K. Dobbins will break five tackles and run for 50 extra yards and then Gus Edwards will do it the next play. So it was a bit of a shock to see that to what we saw in 2021. 
So I think the Ravens, yeah, they want more of that break tackle skill set. I think Cook is a dynamic player. You can deploy him in a lot of different ways. But the fit, it's almost like, what are you doing with Brian Robinson in Alabama? Where's the fit? Cook is probably one on the lower end of the fit for the Ravens right now. Right. Uh, he's a guy I would have pegged in the fourth or fifth round. I do think that somebody else is probably going to find more value there with Cook than than the Ravens will. But uh, do you see a reason why the Ravens, given their situation and what they like in backs, and honestly, given the fact that they tend to like to have two tight ends on the field, would take would 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 see a fit in a player like Cook? Uh, I think what you can do with his receiving skills could be potentially worthwhile i know the pat if, if he's on the field he has to be able to pass block in those situations for sure so it's kind of like a give and take but i think with the ways you can deploy him the ravens love their positionless defense their versatile offensive players you can line them up in a lot of different places and so i know the ravens were looking before they got injured to use jk dobbins and Gus edwards more in passing roles and on pass catching situations so maybe you don't necessarily need a player like a james cook at this stage, if you're going to use Dobbins and Edwards on third down more, because to me, he's more of a change of pace back. But if if you want to ease those guys in, not give them a lot of those third down snaps to keep their snap counts low, maybe as a change of pace player, Cook could be somebody and then you bring in a veteran. But I think, yeah, on the scheme fit, he, he's a little bit lower for me. Yeah, the Ravens are, are that odd NFL team that is a power team even on third down. I mean, they, they first of all, because they, they go for it on a hell of a lot of fourth downs. But also because on first and second down, you know, a lot of their offense is predicated in trying to get reasonable third down distance. And we hope they get back to more of success at that than they had in 2021, 2020 and 2019. Uh, that was the highest score as the offense in the league. And a lot of it was predicated on exactly that was the was the ability to get into those third and short situations. Uh, but it's interesting. He's an interesting player. Uh, number four on my list also, like I said. So let's go to your number three guy. Yeah, my number three guy, Damian Pierce, Florida running back. He's somebody who I think for potential value might be one of the better plays for the Ravens in this class. And what I mean by that is you don't have to spend a second on him. Maybe a team looks at him in the third if, if they're super high. But I see him maybe as like an early day three pick potentially that has the potential to sneak into late day two if the team really likes him. And we've seen that before with like Brandon Stevens, for example, who many thought, you know, that's a maybe early mid day three pick, but the Ravens liked him enough to take him at the back half of that third mm-hmm. round. Pierce to me, I mean, first of all, you got to look at his on field excellence where I think he has contact. He takes contact very well and he, he's 5'10, so not quite 5'11, but he's, he's pretty close. And he's able to have a lot of lateral quickness as well. He has the acceleration to do well, but also he runs angry. And I think that's one of the things that I like some of the best about Damian Pierce. And I think that he has the potential. We talked about like a player that can take a high amount of carries early and take some of the load off of Dobbins and Edwards if needed. I feel like Pierce can be that guy, not to mention the Ravens love their off the field character. And Pierce is one of the highest characters in this class. Is there something specific about that? Cause I'm not aware of this. Was it with you? No, people just go all they rave about Pierce and just how he conducts himself in interviews and oh, just the great. way that he talks, kind of like what people look at with Lamar Jackson. Now he's very respectful in those situations. Okay. All right. That's great. 260 career carries at Florida. That is a huge plus. That is an enormous plus. Don't look at it as the guy couldn't get on the field kind of thing. It's it's That is a potentially great risk for a one contract back. You You, you have a chance to get – you know, if, if things really go well in four years, you could get 800 carries out of this guy and he's got he's got 260 in the bank. You're really talking about a player who can help you. Uh, I would agree. I think he's a guy to get on the on the field in year one and help you. I think he's very limited in terms of speed. He's a 459 40 guy. So that's not that's not his game. Uh, but he makes up well for it by running through contact effectively. I think you know he has a little bit of that Gus Edwards in him uh, in that way. Uh, there, I think you can see different developmental paths for this guy because I think it's possible he could be a rotational player and and uh, you know be an early down guy where they use him here and there, but not every down spell the other backs, whatever. I think they could use him on third down. He's got the tools as a blocker. He's got that good, um, you know stand up and and uh, and move forward in pass blocking uh, that I like to see. But uh, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if the Ravens took him in with one of those fourth round picks. I would be a little bit shocked if he goes 
in the third round just because the Ravens have so many needs. And I really don't – I think they'll, like you and I have displayed during this, you just got a lot of running backs which look close. you got small school opportunities. I just don't see the Ravens using a top um, first, second, or third round pick on a running back in this draft. It all it all comes back to value, and I think Pierce, if he slips into early day three, I think that's a, that's a, a spot where I'd be willing to take a player like Pierce. I mean, he, he's a, he's a fiery guy. There, there was the combine clip of him. He was struggling on his, I think it was like his twenty or twenty first rep, and the guy was going to take it. He's like, "Don't take it. I want, you know, I want, I want to get it." So you know the way he the way he carries himself on the field as well, something a lot of people like, and he fits on the field in terms of what he does. But yeah, I, to me, I'm more in the take a running back on day three. I think there are enough options in this class where you don't have to re- not reach, but spend a higher draft capital on a player that at a running back position, hopefully we can knock on wood Dobbins and Edwards come back and, and they're the players they were, but you can't necessarily bank on it. So if the Ravens have a little, are a little bit wary of, all right, what are they going to look like? Then maybe they could spend that late day two pick, but I, I'm, I'm on team day three, whether that's early or later. Right. Just just for examples here, in terms of what people, what the JJ chart would tell you about the relative value, the Ravens' last pick at number 196 is worth, and I'm using air quotes here, 11.4 JJ points. Well, the first pick is worth 1,100. So you almost have a, a 100 to 1 relationship between pick 14 and 196. Now, is that reasonable? Every other system other than JJ is going to tell you these valuations should be flatter. But I I would argue, I would ask people to be careful about that. First of all, the JJ chart is used in most trades. So you want to be careful about that to get value that you expect to get when you trade down. But also that flatter valuations seem to treat the value of the first point of whatever they are basing their system on as much as the last point. And let's say a common one to use is AV by pro football reference. Okay. So when that's used, uh, people in that follow baseball are, are, are familiar with the concept of war, the wins above replacement. And you know that a one war guy is really not, does not help you at all, depending on, on, you know, if he has a, a reasonable amount of playing time for you, because it's one win above a 294 winning percentage. I, by putting it there, I've lost all sense of value in the scale. And the truth of the matter is, for for uh, AV, those first couple of points you can get in just about any street value in terms of a, a typical year's AV. And, and you don't have to be good in order to pick that up. So it shouldn't be something that counts as much as the 13th or 14th point of AV for a real star player. And so I, I really, while I... I don't. I believe the JJ chart is too peaked. I also believe some of the more recent things are way too flat in terms of how you value picks round around. So I, I, I want the Ravens to get full JJ value when they trade down, and when they trade up, of course, I want them to to underpay <laughs> relative to that. But uh, don't we all? All right. I also yeah. had Damon Pierce at number three, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So who's your number two guy? Unless you have something to say about that draft. Theory no, yeah, I mean, I for in terms of draft, you want value, and we we had talked about the uh, the fact that running backs after their first contract were seeing more and more teams. I mean, the Panthers gave McCaffrey that huge deal, and now they might be looking to move him. The Giants gave Barkley, you know, the, 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 there there's all this different stuff where teams are looking to move off of running backs even now before first contracts are up because I think they understand that it's very rare in this in this league that you pay running backs. I mean, Nick Chubb is an example of a running back who was paid. You have a couple others. Gus Edwards, obviously the Ravens have that example too, but it wasn't necessarily the four for 50 deal. It was a pretty sure. team friendly contract. So if you're, if you're talking about taking a running back in the first, second, third round, I think it has to be a surefire star who can give you at least four years of top five, very minimum top 10 running back production Mm -hmm. and can fit your system well. And in this class particular, I think there are a lot of solid backs. But as we kind of talked about earlier on the show, Ken, it feels like the first running back will probably be taken round two, round three. And with running back not necessarily being a huge need for them either, depending on the health of Dobbins and Edwards, I feel like day three is the best situation for him. Oh, I do too. And I, I hope it's something they can leverage. Let's go to your number two guy. Yeah, so my number two is Kenneth Walker. I know now we're getting into the this is probably third round territory mm-hmm. for a player like Kenneth Walker. But I think that for me, he's a player that does a lot of solid things on the field and he cuts 
he runs downhill. He does a lot of things that I feel like the Ravens would like in their system. But now it's about becoming a more complete player for him. And I think overall he can be kind of that early feature down back in an offense. But again, with a team that has Dobbins and Edwards, you don't need that because the Ravens are going to be rotating anyway. So it'd be a matter of him adjusting to that fit and seeing what works for him. Yeah, a little bit smaller, uh, 5'10", 217. I've seen him listed at 5'9", also don't even want to mess with that. But, you know, he's got certainly good size uh, for the position. To me, he's the best pure runner in college football this year. And I don't mean combination of speed and size. I'm not talking traits. I'm talking about what he actually did this last year. I think he's, he's probably the best pure runner. Uh, lots of missed tackles, terrific yards after contact. PFF had him at 4.5 uh, yards per uh, yards after contact per, per play, which is amazing. Uh, I think, you know, a player like that, and Gus Edwards had something like 5.2 yards after contact per play on middle runs in his rookie year, I believe. Uh, th- that was an astounding number to me at the time. But what's more astounding about Walker is that I think he really reads leverage very well. So if he's going one-on-one against that safety in level two, if he's trying to beat that linebacker to the outside where he has a chance to, to, to make him miss, he does a very good job with that as well. So uh, that, that combination of running that you, that you see on tape, I think, is, is, is quite good. Um, I, I do think that he does he's not really the pass blocker that teams will want so he's a, he's more of a guy that that helps you put away a game so you have Kenneth Walker in there in the second half uh, and you have the lead as you know we hope the Ravens can get back to doing like they, they were in 2019 and 20 um, th- that he's good uh, he's a very reactive pass blocker uh, he doesn't have a lot of receiving targets at all in college and and I think those two things are probably related is that he's not on the field a lot on those obvious passing downs. Uh, really like the fact that he's still at only 499 career touches in three seasons. So, you know, not the kind of treadware that that uh, I think uh, your number one guy would have. And for that reason, I had Walker at number one. I realized that is not the way it's going to come out. But he's the guy I'd want the Ravens to have among the guys that they would have uh, at the top of their own board. Uh, but I do think this other guy is probably going to get drafted first, uh, as as you say. So let's uh, let's go to your number one guy because he's my number two guy. And we'll talk about him. Yeah, so number one for me, Brees Hall out of uh, Iowa State, and I think for for me, he's not number one because he's somebody who just he has the on field production. He's not necessarily overly dynamic, but. He's a smart football player. We talked about the patient running style that these guys have, and and it feels like this class, a lot of guys have that style, and I think Hall is one of the guys who uses it the best to his ability. And also, his durability is there. He had 4,000 rushing yards, or nearly 4,000 in three years, so the the on-field production is there. But to me, he's somebody who I think that is the top back in this class. And because of that, I don't think he'll be a Raven unless something pretty drastic happens. Right. I don't, I certainly don't expect it to be a Raven. I think someone will, will draft him earlier. The 800 touches would kind of scare me away. Right. So if we're just hand, handicapping where he ends up, uh, don't be shocked if he drops around three. I know a lot of people think, Oh, he's going to be the first draft back drafted. He'll go in around one for sure. It's a, it's a travesty if he doesn't look, there's just too many good players at, positions that were not available last year to have Brees Hall go in the first round, in my opinion. He might go, he might well go in the second round to somebody and just don't be shocked if he's still the first back taken and doesn't go until round three. I don't think that would be surprising. On the plus side, he's got the best combination of measurables in this class in terms of size and speed at 6'1", 217, 439. Uh, He played in a uh, wide open offensive league. So I'd expect his numbers to look pretty good there, but the Iowa state offensive line is not particularly good. They're just okay. And, you know, from what I watched and Iowa state made some changes along the line last year that I think may have depressed his yards after contact numbers. So when you, he's not getting the same number of opportunities in level two that some other backs get, which means, you know, some of the numbers you see from him are probably a little more impressive than they they would be for another place. Uh, Having 50 receptions and six receiving TDs in three seasons is good. His YPR number was decent. You know, there's a lot of things to like about who he is, and and it's it's more like he has a 
plus statistically in a lot of categories across the board. And you, you got to love that. I just don't think he's the runner that Walker is. Uh, and, and that's, that would be the only thing I, I, I think he could, he could be a Raven. He could be useful to the Ravens. The problem is the Ravens are not going to value a running back in this draft. I don't, I doubt they'll draft one before the fourth round. And I, I there's no way Brees Hall is going to last around four. No, I also, I agree. Ken. I think it's probably second, second round territory for Brees Hall. Maybe he slips into the early third, but I don't think there's a first round running back in this class. Maybe it seems surprises in the back half of the first, kind of in the late twenties, early thirties and decides to take and get the fifth year option and, and see what they can do with them. But we talk about positions that are premium all the time. And, you know, you have quarterback, you have edge, you have offensive tackle corner, Mm-hmm. There are a lot of players in this class, a very deep class at a lot of those different positions. I know the quarterback class isn't necessarily the best we've ever seen, but it wouldn't shock me to see three, four guys come off the board in that first round in a very high total where corners, you have like four guys who could go in the top 20 and edge guys, you yeah. have four guys who could go in the top 20. So to me, I think that pushes other positions down the board. Oh, Running yeah. back was, I feel like is one of the ones that is going to be most affected by the super deep class in other areas. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, it, defensive line with how weak that draft was last year, there's a lot of teams in the same position as the Ravens needing defensive linemen. This is a good group this year. And, you know, if you're in those middle rounds and you're, you're, you're trying to make a choice between a back who's indistinguishable, maybe not completely indistinguishable, but there's not a lot of difference, even on your own board, between back A and back D, you know, you go ahead and, and probably drafted that defensive lineman and you reach for him even a, a little bit later in this draft. So I, I think we'll see a lot of that this year. Um, you mentioned three or four quarterbacks in the first round, do you think? Because the, the activities of the last day have me very excited about the possibility of maybe three quarterbacks going before the Steelers get to draft. Yeah, what a a turn that would be for that organization. I mean, I think Wills is probably going in the top 10. I think for a player like Malik Willis, he's uber talented. You could all, I mean, obviously Kenny Pickett is in there. Mm -hmm. There have been maybe rumblings about Matt Corral, potentially Sam Howell, potentially Mm -hmm. Sam Howell. We could see. So if there are those quarterbacks gone before Pittsburgh drafts, I mean, oh man. (laughs) It'd be good in so many ways. I mean, the Ravens obviously would be sitting very pretty. Uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, the Ravens could trade back under those circumstances, not to the Steelers, but they could trade back with with other teams and uh, and move back. The, the fact that the Saints and Eagles are sitting there with with uh, 15 through 19 four fifths covered uh, makes me very happy. I mean, it looks to me like those teams want to keep those picks and use them like the Saints probably are looking for a quarterback. Uh, to, to grab in that in that slot. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Maybe the Eagles, the Eagles do some clever things often. They might trade down again. But uh, but I think the Saints are probably going to take a quarterback. And I think the Panthers are probably going to take a quarterback. So uh, we're going to see quite a lot done, I think, in the in the early part of this draft. And uh, even in a bad quarterback class, if they if three guys were taken, you know, before the Ravens pick at number 14, that would be just a massive deal. Yeah, because obviously the Ravens, they don't they don't need the quarterback. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be worried about who goes. And obviously with each quarterback that's taken before they pick, that pushes better talent down to them. Love, love it. And uh, really love to see it. So outstanding discussion. Really appreciate you coming on, Kevin. Uh, oh, did you have a couple couple honorable mention guys you want to mention? Anybody else that we didn't hit on maybe? Uh, just one for me. And that actually is Cameron Harris, the running back from Miami, who is – more of a later round guy. Like I think this would be like a 196 target for the Ravens if they were to okay. go that direction. But I think he's being vastly underrated. I mean, he's a very good player who I think could he, – he projects a three down back, but obviously needs to do a bit more in terms of just a couple of small technical things. He's never fumbled in his career. He's a very good speed player. He's 5'10", 210, so not like the 5'11", six-foot range. But I think to me he has the vision. He has – a lot of good things that he does in terms of fluidity. I think he's a player that if the Ravens want to maybe draft other needs before and maybe with those first nine picks get other needs in check, if they want to push running back down to the 196 area, I think Harris would be a target for him. That's not a bad one at all. I, I've got a different one. Uh, BYU's Tyler Algier. I always get his name. I want to call him all Guyer all the time, but it's, it's Tyler Algier. Um, not an exceptional leverage reader. Doesn't have great speed. 
Uh, that may limit you know, what he can do in the NFL. Uh, another good one-cut runner. I think he'd do well in a zone scheme, but I don't think he'd be terrible in a power scheme. And I think you know, being who he is in terms of size, I think he, if you get him to level two, he's going to run very well through contact and, and be a good Yakko player. Uh, I think I, one of the things I really liked about him was he moves forward as a pass blocker. Um, he may or may not have all the tools as a receiver to be the guy who you have on the on the field on third down. But he looked good in that way in the in the in the games I watched. Now BYU has another one of these really good offensive lines, particularly relative to who they play, and, and you got to put context into concern. But but I liked him. I don't know if you saw this, but Algier had probably the highlight of the year for me of any running back I saw. But it was an odd one against Arizona State. And Arizona State, by the way, was ranked nineteenth when they played this game. So was, you know this is a good team they're playing. He missed his pass block. His guy, you know, was on top of the quarterback. He held him also, by the way. He missed the, he missed the, he missed the block. Then he held him. The, the hold wasn't called. Um, grabs the guy. He still grabs hold of the quarterback. The quarterback threw an interception. Algier got up off the ground, ran down the interceptor on the left sideline as the offense is facing, went all the way over his body to pop the ball out like a Humphrey would along that sideline, kept it in bounds, and the quarterback actually came back and recovered the football. Just an amazing highlight. See if you can find that because it's one of those in the from the uh, Arizona State game that I just absolutely loved. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's a that's a, a high-effort player. I like to see that, and, uh, and it is certainly an interesting play. Not the reason you draft somebody, but a very interesting <laughs> play. So, anyway, he's, he's first on my honorable mention list. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. And he he also just missed my cut. I, I feel like, again, there, there's this like clump of running backs in the mid rounds and like all these guys fall into it. And, you know, so we're sitting here trying to name 10 of them when really we could maybe expand that list to 15 or so guys that could be fits because you have like the Brees Halls, the Kenneth Walkers who are like round two, round three. And then once you hit the fourth round, I think we're going to see a really big run on running backs. Right. I, I as I went through this. I try to handicap how many total running backs do I think will be taken. And, you know, it's, it's 256 picks, maybe a couple more because there's, there's additional compensatories now that are done. But, but uh, out of 256 or so, you know, if you start figuring about 11 position groups and the running back needs, you know, a reasonable share of that, maybe – you know, maybe there's 17 running backs taken. That wouldn't be surprised me. It wouldn't shock me if it were 19. But I think it's going to be lower than a 111th share this year. I think that you're you're going to see uh, players taking other places and a lot of opportunity given in camp uh, for teams in various places to 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 have young guys win jobs. And you know, it's one of these interesting positions because at tackle, at guard, you talk about making a uh, you know, a, a, a guy's a project. He's a two-year player. You know, you're 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 not looking at for this offensive tackle to play right away. A running back, if you can't play right away in some sort of scheme fit for some team, you're you're of no value. I mean, you you've, you've, whoever you draft as a running back, they better be able to step in right away to some portion of your total carries, or they're not worth drafting. Yeah, and that's amplified in Baltimore because of what we're seeing with the injuries of Dobbins and Edwards. And we just it's such an unclear thing right now in terms of where both are, where they will be come July, August, September, to the point where you maybe tick that need up a little bit for the Ravens and maybe reach a tiny bit for a player. Not not Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker mm-hmm. type reach for them. I don't think that would be necessarily worth it. But if a player like Pierce falls to the very end of day two, like the last two picks, do you make that selection? I'm probably still sticking day three. Yeah. But to me, I feel like it wouldn't be shocking if the Ravens go that route and say, we're going to take a guy at the end of round three because we just don't know how these guys are going to respond to full on field contact. All right. Outstanding discussion, Kevin. Really appreciate having you on for this. Uh, always a pleasure to talk football with you and and, uh, and have you on. Tell us where people can find you or. Yeah, Ken, this is always such a blast for me. It's, you know, great insight back and forth between the two of us. But for me, I, again, I'm on Twitter at ChaosStriker34. I also host and produce the Locked On Ravens podcast. So you can find me talking Ravens football five days a week, audio and video form both. So on YouTube, we are there. And then anywhere you get your podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. I also am a managing editor over at the Ravens Wire. So I write about the Ravens seven days a week. So I'm very Ravens-centric and I, I got to be to be able to know this team and we are over there at Ravens Wire, and we also 
post articles every day on Twitter. They kind of filter in. So if you miss something on the website, you can find it over on Twitter as well. All right. Outstanding folks out there, if you want to do a film study short with me, just this month only and only obviously until the draft begins, uh, I'm recording any shows people would like to about a specific draft topic of interest. It could be the history of the Ravens draft, tendencies of the Ravens, weaknesses of the Ravens in the draft, strength of the Ravens that they should be trying to exploit, what you think the Ravens ought to do at some specific position for some reason. Really big question, offensive tackle, by the way, for the Ravens in terms of how they look forward from where they are. You know, a lot of people are saying the Ravens have it fixed, figured out at offensive tackle. Well, I don't know that that's really the truth. We'll, uh, we'll have to see. But anyway, if, if you have a topic like that, love to hear from you. We'll do a show quickly. It'll be on the air quickly. Uh, and we'll record it, uh, obviously, in the next couple of weeks or it won't have any value. Uh, on draft day, we'll be doing some special coverage. Hope you'll join us for that. Uh, it'll be in the form of a Zoom call, likely. Uh, where you can you can jump in with uh, our panel of uh, people and uh, ask questions directly. We enjoy the draft. It's a great watch party. Hope you'll join us for that. Kevin, thanks again for coming on. Ken, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.